Welcome to PT Talk, everybody. I'm your host, Chris Hinker, joined today by our very special guest, Gavin Hamer, the National Director of Education for Physical Therapy and Balance Centers. Gavin, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Chris. It's good to be here. Hey. We're glad to have you. Uh, I'm going to start off by uh, actually recapping a question that we were talking about just before we got started, and with such a broad title, and obviously such an important title as education, just all education. We were discussing the difference between approaches, between some of these more finite niche approaches and some more collective uh, or eclectic approaches. What, share your thoughts on that. So within the U.S., I think we were really lucky within the U.S. because it's a mecca for anything that's good around the world. So we have a lot of homegrown uh, experts and also Norwegian, Australia, New Zealand, and, and as we all know, um, out of the U.K. and so on. So they all tend to come to the U.S. So we're really lucky, I think, as PTs here that we can choose pretty well any any orthopedic approach that we want. Um, our approach here at Physical tends to be reasonably eclectic with, you know, Maitland, Mulligan, uh, McKenzie, Muscle Energy, Strain and Counter Strain, and so on. So, you know, here in the U.S., man, we, ha we have the choice. So um, I'm not sure actually we answered your question totally, so go. No, I, th I think that you did. Um, you know, I feel like orthopedic is an area in physical therapy where, if I can be bold enough to say it, most people feel like they've got it covered. Mm -hmm. they, there are other areas, balance and vestibular, pelvic health, other niche specialties, hand therapy, where there is additional training and the general list will sort of stay away. But I think that we're in a situation that may actually be harming our ability to continue learning and refining our process where the majority of folks feel like they sort of have general orthopedic. They've got it. They have it locked down. And I, I don't think that you would say that's the case, would you? It probably reflects more on the personality of the person. I, I think we always have to be open. We always have to learn. Uh, one of the strengths of a, a good practice, I think, is the ability to not only have the information which the leader or the director or the owner may have. They've done a specialty certification, McKenzie, Mulligan, Australian pr approach or, or whatever. Um, but it's the ability to um, educate their staff and be able to have consistency within their clinic. Because when you look at you know, what the patients complain of the most, it's the inconsistency. So w when I had my practice before coming into, into physical, we were open 64 hours a week, and we gave our patients the ability to choose their clinician um, or they could choose their time. But it was very hard for them to, to set a particular time and get the same therapist. So um, if we want strength within your clinic, you need consistency within the clinic, which means training all your staff the mm. same. And I think one of the strengths of our program is, and, and Brian has done a great job with the balance uh, with physical, as in the, the skill set of your evaluating therapist is transferred down so the, the exercise prescription and the progression of treatment and balance is excellent. And then our job really in the orthopedic is to try and get that sort of same approach so we may have, you may be a specialist in, in one particular approach with um, orthopedics, but um, if you have an eclectic approach, it's a lot easier, I think, to make sure your, your PTAs and everybody else can contribute well to that patient's progression um, and so on. So although the individual owner may be uh, a, a specialist, we can always... Uh, 
I suppose, take on more information and become a little bit more eclectic because every day there's uh, new info coming out. I, I um, resort to a lot of the Australians and um, keep up with that. Um, I was just listening to another podcast earlier about um, a guy out of Denmark and, and so on. So bringing all this in constantly um, through through our program works well. So getting back to your question, it's great that everybody uh, is specialized and there's lots of specialist programs out there, but I think the main aim really is to get the skills to all your therapists within the clinic. I think that we've heard that trend quite a few times throughout the different podcasts that we've discussed, whether it's business knowledge or whether it's a niche area of clinical therapy or a larger area. Training is key. And if you can get everybody on the same page and you can have a system that's trainable, you now have one that's scalable and you have one that is going to provide the consistency that that your patients are looking for. How do you go about manifesting that in your role at physical? I mean, that sounds like it's a pretty big undertaking. How, how are you, what type of, I guess, tools or programs are you putting in place to accomplish that? So within the physical orthopedic program, we have seven course topics, five of which um, most people would recognize would be a component of a generalized orthopedic program, upper quarter, lower quarter. And then we divided the spine into three cervical thoracic ribs, the lumbar spine and pelvis, which is really a hypomobility course, and then multi-region core, taking into account gravity fit, looking at the three cores, cervical, thoracic, and lumbar pelvic. So that becomes a certification program, which means once people have gone through that, have had the live courses, done the online quizzes, and written the essays, then they become certified as a physical orthopedic uh, or a certified orthopedic physical therapist, trainer, or assistant. In addition to that, we have a specialist hip for life program, because mm. I see that hips really are undertreated, underdiagnosed. Mm. And um, unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of new research out into the tendinopathies and and Consequently, some of our approaches are a little bit behind the times, and we need to upgrade people's skill on that. Then the seventh one, or the yes, seventh course is TMJ dysfunction. Right. So we have uh, and helps us out with the ENTs, um, the otolaryngologist, um, and so we really have the full coverage because I suppose what we're looking for is is we're trying to treat people as a whole instead of just pigeonholing them into one ICD-10 code so they're not just the shoulder, they, they are a combination. So the, the better we can treat somebody as a whole, I think obviously the patient's going to do better and so on. Now, you and I were talking before about... Um, as uh, what would you call it a a cascade and what Mm. we've tended to do is you know what do we do we get the phone call you know grandma's fallen over and Mm. she's in the er so we're not really sure what's going on so we arrive and and she hasn't broken anything but then we have to sort of sit back and say why did she fall and the classic would be you know she has some balance issues and there's no doubt that she does have some balance issues but when we look back at her history you know a year ago of course she had a total hip 
And, and although she's doing okay, she probably could be stronger in that hip. Of course, we look at her house, and she's got rid of all the, the mats, but there's still a few things around that, that perhaps um, you know, could be a little bit of a risk for her. So she gets up in the middle of the night twice, sometimes three times, and that this, of course, is an incontinence problem. And the incontinence problem may be tied up with the hip, particularly if it's a posterior hip. That tends to affect it. So why did she fall? Yes, she had balance, but you know you can't just treat her with balance. She needs the strength in her hips. And at some point in time, we need to address the, the incontinence factor. And to a certain extent, we know from the research that if you wanted to predict the fall, uh, continence and pelvic health is probably the biggest predictor. Interesting. I think that, that it makes sense, Gavin, because if you were to ask uh, probably any number of the different guests we've had in the past, uh, Brian, the balance expert, likely would have pointed first to balance and Cindy perhaps first to pelvic incontinence. And, and then from a traditional orthopedic standpoint, we say it's the hip, but it's really not ever just one of those. Correct. So I suppose, yeah, we have to prioritize. And, and of course, the patient comes in with a predetermined idea of what they want. So um, there's no way you're going to you know, directly go after the fall and then whatever and say, right, we're going to concentrate straight on your pelvis uh, or your incontinence. So we have to sort of prioritize depending on what the patient's expectations are and, of course, what the percentage of dysfunction is balance, is strength, is, is the pelvis. Um, then we start looking at all the crossovers, like how much of that balance issue is tied up with neck, for instance, and, and, and vice versa. And I don't think any of those things are particularly clear, but I think any clinician that is dealing with balance and vice versa, anybody who's dealing with neck, which is the traditional um, orthopedic practice, we need that crossover skill set. I think you're right. I actually spoke with, um, I spoke with an individual just yesterday, very large practice, um, who has already seen thousands of evaluations this year alone. And she had shared with me an interesting piece of information that I think points to what you're talking about. And it said that there is an entirely new, in her practice, there is an entirely new population of patients that are there for balance and vestibular care that she had never before seen. But by trying to continually refine their process, they began evaluating many of these patients and found that, in her opinion, 30% of them, they could solve by treatment of the C-spine. 30% of the balance. 30% of the balance balance, individuals. She was able to provide at least some form of treatment through just focusing on the C-spine and another maybe 10% or so in the thoracic. But what she said to me that I thought was really interesting was she said, I recognize that I would never even have the opportunity to evaluate the challenges this person had if I weren't providing balance and vestibular care in my practice, which in her case is a very large, predominantly orthopedic-based practice. And I just thought that was very interesting. Do you see that often, or you wish you saw it more? (laughs) I think it just brings home the fact that we all need to cross over with our skill set. And so if you are the orthopedic clinician, you need to be able to assess and at least... Uh, look at the pelvis and see whether you need to treat that and pass it on to the appropriate person's skill set if you don't have it. And likewise, in the neck, if you're the traditional orthopedic, you're looking at the shoulder, upper quarter problems with balance, and then vice versa, which is what um, 
what your other clinician is talking about, the patients with balance, and they obviously have some neck issues as well. So addressing the neck improved their balance. The question, of course, is how much of that is still tied up with the sensory system in the neck tying into the balance or whether it's a pure neck problem. But there's no doubt that they're all they're all related. And our skill set really needs to be that we can cross over. So like at the beginning, you talked about these niche markets. Um, and our base training, I suppose, is as therapists is incredibly general, or we tend to go to schools that make us pretty proficient orthopedic uh, clinicians, and we come out with that. But we need those other specialist niche uh, skill sets because otherwise we're missing some some major mm. holes mm-hmm. for those patients, and we're just not providing the service for them because our goal is to treat them as a whole. So when they arrive, we provide them with the best service available, which means we're not just going to patch you so you can leave uh, pain free and and have another problem in a week's time. We must get you to the highest function possible. Yeah, much more holistic than episodic, right? right? Correct. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. I apologize if I embarrass you. But what people may not know unless they Google you is that you have more letters after your name than I think I have in my entire name, meaning that you are a highly, highly educated therapist. What what types of certifications and learning processes did you have to get through to get to, to, to where you are today? The letters just mean I can't spell particularly well because they don't actually form Uh, any words, uh, right? So That's why I didn't try to pronounce it as if it was a name because it would have been trouble. So within the U.S., we have a number of certifications, and um, orthopedic-wise, there's OCS, which is an orthopedic clinical specialist, which is an APTA uh, approved and acknowledged certification. The other one is more manual therapy oriented, which is what I have. So I'm a fellow of the American Academy of Manipulative Therapists. So it's a specialist post-grad training, just like you would go to a board-certified dermatologist. These are basically board-certified orthopedic specialists, board-certified manual manipulative therapists. So those are the letters, apart obviously from the doctorate and, and so on. So, so what you're saying is after this, you're going to fix my hip. There we go. That's what you're yes. saying. Well, the actual point I wanted to get to was if someone hasn't had the opportunity or the desire or perhaps even the ability to go through the type of training that you have, but they're, let's say they're a business owner or they aspire to be one, a private practice owner, and they want to provide the type of holistic care that you're talking about, what's your recommendation? How do they go about coming across such a holistic uh, care, you know, continuum, I guess you would say, or how do they get that education? Where do they find the training and consistency? So you're talking about within physical or outside of physical? Well, I, I guess either one. I, right. if, if maybe that's your answer, I'm not sure. So but yeah, if I'm, I mean, if I'm just it, general, so not necessarily a member of your organization right. within physical, what would you I recommend? think the program that we offer at physical, which dovetails into the pelvic health and dovetails into the balance, is pretty effective as an eclectic approach. And what I've tried to do in this program is based on, on my experience over the years, and I've been lucky to have worked here in the U.S. and a number of states, um, in Canada for six years, and then New Zealand as well. So I've had a lot of exposure to different rationales. So uh, first of all, I suppose the, the question to the clinician is you need to sort out and define what your personality is and tailor the program to that. So some people are far more, um, what would you say, more hands-on and uh, more of the soft tissue. So they tend to do more of the myofascial occipital releases and craniosacral, and other people are more 
a more thrust orientated. So once you know and and uh, you have an idea of what your personality is, then you're going to choose a specialty program along with that. So outside of physical, of course, there are lots of other specialty programs. Some are IFOMT uh, recognized, which is the International Federation of Manipulative Therapists. So the uh, fellowship orthopedic program is... Um, and so on, or you can have non-IFOMT accredited programs, and they tend to be, you know, Joe's version of life. So it's it's this particular approach or that particular approach. So first of all, I would suggest that one they get one of the IFOMT ones if possible, and then after that, you know, for a successful practice, you've got to convey that information to your to your staff so it becomes consistent. So when you look at, you know, you look at the practices that have grown well, Mm -hmm. in my mind, what I've seen is you had a leader who was the key clinician. And, you know, most of us after years and years tend to be pretty good key clinicians. But can you transfer that information to your staff? So those are the ones that go on to have multiple practices. And, and so on. The one I'm thinking of has, you know, he grew it out of, of one uh, up in the sort of in the middle of the, of the country into 70 practices. But it was all by the fact that one, he obviously had a ground, uh, he had an excellent skill set to start with, but it's the ability to transfer that information in a consistent fashion to the rest of his staff. Yeah, I agree. And I take it, in fact, I know from what you shared with me earlier, but I take it that that is your day in, day out grind here in your role at physical is to make that type of education opportunity, a holistic approach, training, everything you talked about to make that available to the members that, that do join the organization, right? Right. Consistency is the key. So that is, a, is, is our job. So it really doesn't depend, it doesn't depend on or is not affected by the owner's uh, skill set currently, they can always add further things to it, make it a little bit broader, and then we provide them with the ability to train their staff and then build in the consistency there. I mean, I'm always going to Starbucks because I know Starbucks is consistent. So we get a lot of flow from the northern people coming down here into the south. So the advantage we have is they've had a good experience with physical up north, and now they, they will seek out physical down here. Having said that, though, for, for us as a physical provider, we have a phenomenal responsibility because every other facility is going to be judged by, by what we do. So, sure. so as much as I don't want to, um, you know, uh, disappoint a, a patient for another facility in another part of the country. I don't want them to disappoint somebody for me either. And I can see where if, if you're not consistent, that type of problem could happen. Whereas today it sounds like you're experiencing all the positives that come from having that consistency. So a little parting shot, if you would, uh, Gavin Hamer, national director of education for physical. If folks out there want to enhance the care in their practice, the quality of education, since that is your realm, what is the one single thing that you suggest that they do? Good question. you got about 10 minutes to let me think about that. <laughs> You've got about 10 seconds to there give your go. answer. <laughs> so, so really the point is that you have to be a mentor. So you have to create the environment where the person you're trying to convey the information to is willing to learn from you. You heard it here first. Be a mentor. Get the information and turn it into a process that you can train or provide with consistency. If folks want to get in touch with you, Gavin, or they have additional questions, where can they find you? 
two good websites. One is physicaleducation.com, and that has my contact there and also our uh, all the courses that we offer. The other one would be just straight out physical.com, which has you know amazing information. And um, there we go.